Good afternoon. Thank you for viewing the Facebook fan page and the YouTube channel for the Law Office of Travell Travis. Our firm's focus is on the needs of pastors, entrepreneurs, creatives, and the community. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, as well as visit our website. The link is provided at the bottom of these videos. Send us an email at travelltravis at gmail.com or call us at area code 757-528-8529. As a disclaimer, our videos are for educational and advertising purposes and is not a substitute for contacting a licensed attorney in your state, nor creates an attorney-client uh, relationship. Over the last uh, several uh, legal lessons, we have discussed ways to select members of your uh, trustee board or board of directors. We have focused primarily on churches, but you may also have ministries. You may also have other charitable organizations, ed educational organizations that may not necessarily fit within the framework of a traditional church. So there may be some variation. We're talking about establishing a board uh, for a nonprofit organization or a individual ministry, if you will, as opposed to a church. But hopefully some of the information in general um, has been able to give you some things to think about, uh, to, things to examine in your bylaws, and perhaps some suggestions as to best practices moving forward. Uh, we discussed that um, unless you are uh, just forming your church um, and appointing your initial board, uh, later as the church evolves and you're adding or replacing uh, additional members, we gave you five methods in which to select board members. We talked about the peer vote in which the congregation nominates and elects whomever, and that's who's seated. We talked about a pre-clearance method and perhaps where a pastor or nomination committee or even the board uh, has pre-screened candidates and allows the congregation to select from those pre-screened uh, candidates. Number three, we talked about a post-clearance method in which the congregation nominates and votes, but before a person is actually seated, there is a background check or opportunity to perhaps uh, vet or uh, screen that individual before they are seated. Number four, we talked about the board method, the board selecting the board. Now I have to clarify, the board selecting the board method is more common in organizations that do not have members. So perhaps a personal ministry or a nonprofit, you have constituents, you have customers, you have people that you serve, but you don't necessarily have members. When you actually have members, then the members have a greater say in terms of governing the organization and selecting the members of, of the board. So for a typical church, the board selecting the board may not uh, be the best method. Uh, it's more used in a uh, other types of nonprofits where there aren't actually members um, of the organization. And then number five is the fifth one we suggested, especially for theocratic churches, uh, where great deference is given to the leadership and authority of the pastor, especially a founding pastor, um, the appoint and affirm uh, method in which the pastor says, these are the people that I'm appointed to the board. They are presented to the congregation and a simple all in favor say aye, all opposed nay, or a simple yay and nay vote. And assuming that these uh, credible individuals um, and, and the pastor still has great respect of the congregation, 
there should be very little perhaps debate or disagreement and in many cases the congregation will affirm or vote on those who have been appointed or if you will nominated by um, the pastor. Uh, we also discussed uh, permanent seats. Uh, we discussed assigned seats, uh, initial boards, as well as term lengths and circumstances in which uh, board members may need to be replaced. There's a death, there's a retirement, there's a resignation, uh, there's grounds in which someone needs to be removed. Uh, someone has terminated their membership with uh, the church or has become very inconsistent um, in terms of their church attendance. They may not have actually terminated their membership, but maybe they've been gone for a prolonged period of time without any type of explanation. And the question is, you know, does your bylaws address active membership? Does your bylaws address what it means to be an active member of the Board of Trustees in terms of uh, meeting attendance as well as church attendance and giving and support of the church? And so there may be a situation where a person has left, but they feel like they're still seated on the board and can still have a say over um, who should uh, uh, the, the finances of, of the church. So you want to make sure your bylaws uh, speaks to those uh, unique situations and circumstances. Uh, but today I want to address specifically uh, some of the characteristics and the composition of your board of directors or trustees. Once again, founders have the privilege of making initial appointments of the board. Um, however, once moving beyond that initial board, then we're looking at perhaps uh, members being nominated, uh, voted upon, appointed. And so the question is, whether it's a pre-clearance, a post-clearance, a nomination committee, whether it's a peer nomination and vote from the congregation, what are some of the characteristics? Uh, what type of composition should you consider uh, when making your board uh, selection? Um, as always, it should be uh, uh, initiated with prayer. Think about how Jesus went about selecting his 12 disciples after uh, 40 days and 40 nights of prayer. Even on the day of Pen uh, uh, in, uh, in Acts, excuse me, where the scripture talks about the replacement of Judas and how the apostles prayed, they cast lots and then they selected Matthias to be named amongst one of the apostles. Once again, that was prayer. And in the case of the apostles, a vote, but there was prayer that took place. There were certain criteria they laid out. It has to be one that has been among us from the beginning. And not to get too much into the biblical context, there was a criteria, there was prayer, and then there was a vote. And then ultimately that person was seated amongst the 12. So I think before we get into any type of criteria, um, any pastor, any church, any board should follow that method. What is the criteria? What is, uh, let's have prayer. And then whether there's a, a, a vote uh, or an affirmation that takes place after. Also, we want to consider uh, the size of a board. Uh, by law, by the IRS, requires a minimum of three. And so not all uh, members of the board are related by blood or marriage. So for many founding pastors, that's the pastor, the pastor's wife or spouse, and a third person. It could be uh, a, a, the first member, it may be somebody from the community. It might be um, your home church, your pastor, or your covering that may serve as the initial three members of, of, of the board. 
You might want to consider an odd number in terms of tiebreakers. Um, the reality is some boards are actually too large. Uh, sometimes we have this idea, I need 21 or I need uh, 12. And for a congregation that's under 100, 12 may be too many. Uh, some try to have some biblical number, three, five, or seven, seven, you know, considering the deacons uh, that were selected in Acts. But sometimes a board is too large. Um, when you think about some of your colleges, they may have, you know, over 20 board members. You have to think about why they are appointed. They're often appointed by the governor some, for state schools. Um, it's sometimes for uh, political reasons or uh, to kind of reward those who are loyal or supported a campaign. Uh, they bring a certain type of credentials or credibility to the board, but also it helps with having a functional board. Many of those boards may only meet a few times a year. Not everyone's available, but if we have enough people on the board, uh, then we can still carry out the business of the organization. But for a church that's a little bit uh, smaller congregation, especially compared to a university that has thousands of students and thousands of alumni and different constituent bodies, uh, you may not need a very large board. And so you may want to consider, you know, do I have too many? The scripture speaks about Gideon. The Lord told Gideon, you got too many. And so you might want to consider a more smaller, more nimble, flexible, cohesive group that works well together because the more people you bring in, yes, you may have the diversity of thought, but also you may also have more opportunity for conflict because of those diversities um, in thought. Okay, so once again, um, you may want to consider a lower number, three, five, seven, maybe 12. Now, what are some of the criteria? And I want to give you just a few things to consider. This is not an exhaustive list. It's not a perfect list. It's not a published list. Uh, and if you're watching this video, please comment your list, your criteria. What do you think? I think we should look biblically um, at uh, the, the selection of deacons in Acts as well as in Timothy. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. But I think that's a good starting point because the deacons in the Bible were over the temporal affairs, the business affairs of the church. And so even though trustees have a slightly different role than the deacons, there's much overlap. And so the criteria should be relatively applicable even in selecting of our trustee boards. But number one, are they faithful? You know, faithful in attendance to church, um, Bible study, prayer service, uh, uh, extra services? Are they faithful to even the board meetings? Uh, it's a terrible thing to have someone that uh, has control, perhaps, or voice over the temporal affairs of the church, but they hardly at church, or they never attend the board meeting. That, that's, that's not a good uh, person to perhaps uh, put in that position, and then if they can't faithfully execute the job, then they're probably not the best suited for the position. Number two, are they faithful in giving? Uh, if, if the trustee members are uh, responsible for the financial affairs of the church, the property, the assets of the church, you know, do you have somebody on your board does that tie, does not give offerings, does not regularly support? You know, not that you necessarily have to have the biggest giver on the board or, or a person that feels like because I give the most, I should have a say, but at the same time, uh, or should a person necessarily be eliminated because they may not have as much money or may not be able to give um, financially someone else but I think it is important that if a person is going to have a say over the money of the church that they're contributing the best they can sacrificing the best they can uh, for the success of the church and the ministry number three 
Think of those who are business-minded, detail-oriented, perhaps good with numbers. And I'm not saying they got to be your lawyers and your uh, entrepreneurs or those with an MBA or CPA or accounting degree, but they should have a way of understanding business, some type of business acumen. I mean, some people have n didn't even finish high school and are multi-million dollar uh, entrepreneurs and business owners. And then you have some that have MBAs and law degrees that don't understand anything as it relates to business. But if this is a position for the business of the church, it's good to have not just only good people, but people who can understand uh, some of the details and the nuances of the decisions and the implications of those decisions. Number four, people who have spiritual wisdom and good common sense. I think it's important that, yes, we have natural wisdom, education, but there should be some divine wisdom. There are going to be some decisions where you're going to need the uh, voice of God. You're going to need someone in the room that can make known the will of God, that perhaps can uh, settle a dispute because they speak with wisdom. They speak with the anointing, speak with a certain level of authority that perhaps can, as we circle around the mountain or tossing around an idea, that person that can speak with the voice of the anointing, good practical common sense can be a great asset to your board. Number five, think about their person, their character, their integrity, uh, their trustworthiness. Um, when you start dealing with financial information, that's giving records, um, income, expenditures, where money is being allocated, people who have honest report, good character, people of integrity, you know, if they have problems with their own finances, uh, perhaps they uh, have own issues with uh, uh, mishandling money, uh, they may not be the best suited individuals to be on the board. Are they trustworthy with the confidential information that is shared on the board? Number six, do they overall support the mission, the visions, and the goal of the pastor and the church? You know, if you have someone that's on the board that's already fighting, already has a chip on their shoulder, already that's out to get you, already out to undermine you, you know, that, that can be self-defeating uh, from the beginning. Yes, Judas betrayed Jesus, but before he had a dispute with Jesus over the money or how uh, the, the, the perfume was used to, to wash his feet, if you will, uh, Judas, for the most part, had to be a loyal, trustworthy person. So yes, people may change, but we're talking about on the initial board. If this person is hostile to you, uh, nitpicking, critical of you, you may want to uh, be less hesitant necessarily in putting them on the board. So overall, do they support the mission, the vision, the goals of the pastor, the church, and the ministry? Number seven, do they work well with people? You're going to be in the boards, long, perhaps drawn out meetings, debates, discussions. Are they good listeners? Are they respectful? Uh, are they hot-tempered? You know, do they actually manifest the fruit of the Spirit? Gentle, kind, patient, long-suffering. You know, you don't want to bully on your board. That is my way or the highway. That's going to fuss and pout. Um, don't temper tantrums when people don't agree or the decision doesn't go the way they want or the vote doesn't go the way that they want. So you want people that work well with the pastor and others, even as a pastor. Is this someone that you can disagree with and still be friends? 
can they disagree with you and still be a faithful member of the church? Not everybody can distinguish between the spiritual and the natural. And so it may be a situation where they disagree with you over the finances, but they still respect you as a man of God and respect you as a pastor. And so it's very important that you have those type of people that can be honest with you, that can be candid with you. Because let me add to this, you don't want just rubber stamps. You don't necessarily want yes men. You want people that can toss around an idea, that can better an idea, that can debate, have robust, vigorous, perhaps intense debate. You know, go in the locker room, hash it out. But then after we come out the locker room, we're on the same team and no one in the stands, no one on the opposite team ever knows what was said in uh, the locker room. So you want the diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, but you want people who are respectful, who are listeners, people that can challenge, that disagree, but not necessarily be disagreeable. And so we want iron to sharpen iron. We want to perfect ministry. We want to perfect ideas. Uh, we want to take what's good and make it better. And we also want people uh, that can discern between good ideas and God ideas. And these are important when we're talking about your board. Number, number eight is confidentiality. 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 If a person can't keep a secret, they don't need to be on your board. Uh, it's a terrible thing that sometimes board members will, will share with their spouses or in front of their children. And before you know it, the whole church knows who said what, who thought what, who voted what way. You can't have that. Um, and so confidentiality is very important. That people was in the room, was discussed in the room, the decisions, the thought process, the viewpoints remain confidential, especially when you're dealing with giving, donations, expenditures. Everybody doesn't need to know the salary of the musicians or the janitor. Not everybody needs to know the salary of the pastor. Not everyone needs to know who's tithing, who's not. And so uh, it's a terrible, it undermines the, the integrity of the church when all these things, these rumors and all these things are going on in the community. So make sure you have people who can maintain strict confidence. Number nine, I want to express people who have faith. People who are visionaries, but also practical. A lot of decisions that the church will make will be walking on water. It will be building things that have not been done before. Oftentimes, if it's of God, it has to be greater than our own abilities. But at the same time, you need people who are practical. People who can discern between, as I said before, the good and the God ideas. People who knows the time and the season. It may be a good idea, but the season isn't right. And so a person may say, okay, you're ready to you know, plow forward. Maybe we want to put some brakes on this. Let's think this thing through. Not to hinder the ministry, not to slow up the ministry, but sometimes you know, we get a good idea and we're ready to do it today. And it may not be that that's the best idea. Maybe we need to do some more research, do some more vetting, uh, do some more praying. And so you want faithful people who have faith, people who are visionary, who can see things that don't exist uh, but also practical people, people who can give strategies, you know, legs to the vision. Oftentimes pastors are visionary, but the board helps give legs, helps put the ladder underneath uh, the person who's climbing to the top, person who can give directions to the destination. Once again, this is where the board helps makes ideas better. And so we want people that can contribute, 
that are thinkers, that are strategists, people that can give implementation. People can say, okay, here we are. Here's the goal. But what are the objectives? What are the smart goals? What are, how are we going to get there? And the board can assist you in that regard. Uh, number 10, spiritually mature people. Now, when we speak of deacons, the deacons, the Bible tells us they must be full of the Holy Ghost, not just have it, but be full of it. Why? Because when you're dealing with people, when you're dealing with people, it will test every ounce of Holy Ghost that you have. And so when you start dealing with the money, once again, the scripture talks about the love of money um, is the root of evil. And so when people start getting into money, you see a different side of them. And so people must be spiritually mature. Uh, that can handle uh, these tough decisions, the confidentiality. They can disagree, but yet be agreeable. The scripture talks about uh, in, in Acts and selecting the deacons, those who have good report, honest, trustworthy. People have good character, integrity. People that have uh, good credit scores. People who uh, pay their own bills on time. Now, yes, all of us have misfortune. Laid off work, yes. Uh, jobs, uh, salary gets cut, yes. Uh, sickness of a family member, yes. Divorce, things like that. But at the same time, you know, if a person cannot manage their personal finances that well, they tend to spend more than what they have. They tend to, li to tend, uh, tend to live in fairy tale worlds. Imagine what they have control over the church's money and how they may be too ambitious and get ahead of themselves and spending. Nor at the same time do you want a tight water, a person who's excessively stingy and, and doesn't want anything nice for the church, doesn't want to do anything outside the box or visionary. But you do want spiritually mature people. The weight of the decisions can uh, destroy a weak saint, an immature saint. The business of the church often gets ugly. The business of the church gets complicated. The business of the church, you will see different sides of people from the pulpit, from the choir stand to the deacon board. And if you're not spiritually mature to be able to look that person in the eye with the same perhaps respect and reverence um, and after having a tough decision or debate as you would before, then maybe you're not spiritually mature enough. Uh, to be on the board. I'm, 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 not, I'm not trying to preach. I'm, I'm staying in my legal lane um, here. Number 12, excuse me, number 11, diversity. Think about diversity. Uh, you don't want all of your trustee members to be of one family. We said by law, uh, you have a minimum of three, not all related by blood or marriage. And yes, that may be hard when many churches uh, uh, are populated predominantly by one or two families. But there may be a way that you can maneuver in-laws and family members and cousins, you know, or uh, non-family members to where you have some diversity on your board. You may want to think about gender diversity. Some churches may want all men, but, you know, women sometimes control the money in the house. You know, they are the uh, they write the checks. They write the tithes checks. You know, in many cases, they earn more than their spouses or in many cases, they're not even married, but they have their business degrees or their degrees. You know, they bought houses. They started businesses. Um, they, they, they've done great things financially. And so you might want to consider, consider gender diversity, consider age diversity. You know, many young people are graduating from school. Uh, they're entrepreneurs. They're controlling seven figure budgets. They have hundreds of staff members under them. 
But when it comes to the church, we say they're not ready. And so I think that, you know, from even an age perspective, um, a diversity of thought, that you have the elders and their wisdom, but also that you have the youth and their innovation to bring about diversity. Think about education. Think about careers. Think about if you're a part of an organization, a reformation, or a network, geography. Do you want diversity of geography? Um, because in the end, you want different angles. You want people that's going to look on the sides, people that are going to look underneath, people want to look above, that's going to um, have foresight, hindsight. And so you want that diversity of perspectives, even when evaluating decisions, because, you know, the musical person may have a different perspective than the person who's in construction. You know, the arts type people may think different from the uh, methodical people or from those from a legal background or those from a, an accounting background or those who are creatives, those who are entrepreneurs. And so you want to think about the diversity of thought um, on your board. Number 12. Those who are respected by your congregation, especially if they're appointed, not that you will pick who the congregation wants, but will the congregation have a problem with who you've picked? And I think it's important that there is a level of respect that the congregation has for the members of the board. Yes, one or two here, there, somebody might prefer somebody different, but overall, will the congregation say, yes, you know, that's a good group. We, we, we like that group. We understand uh, that group. Because also, they may also have to be your champions, your ambassadors in the congregation. Perhaps there's a major purchase and not everybody is bought into it. Well, who's going to help you champion that vision? Who's going to help you champion that particular idea? It's going to be the members of that board. And if they're uh, in good favor and good respect, Sometimes they're going to be the one that's going to put out the fires. Those are the ones that are going to address the concerns. Those are the ones that are going to give a level of calm and stability uh, to that idea. So think about, you know, overall, who would the congregation select? Who do you think would have that rapport? Not that a family manipulates the church. Not that we just put necessarily people who have the best resumes. But at the same time, there should be a level of who would the people want, especially in cases where you have a little bit more say in the vetting and the appointing of those trustee members? Uh, number 13, good report, reputation inside and outside the church, as we already said, you know, is important for non-members uh, to have a certain level, non-Christians, uh, to have a certain level of respect for the members of the board. Uh, number 14, could they pass a background check? You know, what is their credit score? Do they have felonies or misdemeanors on their record? And we're not saying that we're holding people to their past or we're judging people on their past. But at the same time, if you're making major purchases, um, there may be some type of uh, vetting of the board or reviewing of the board, especially if their felony or their misdemeanor is related to finances, integrity, or trustworthiness. Yes, God, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things are new. But at the same time, if you've just been released from prison because, you know, of armed robbery, carjacking, you know, because of embezzlement, you might want to wait on putting that person on your board. Yes, God can save. Yes, God can deliver. Yes, God can change. But at the same time, you may want to wait unless God speaks before you put that person on uh, the board. Now, flip side to that, 
if you will, somebody may say, okay, they were a drug dealer. Well, it wasn't because they weren't business minded. They were just selling the wrong product. Now this brother is saved. You know, now their outlook has changed. Their vision has changed. Who knows? That person could be a, a great asset to the ministry serving on their board. It wasn't their uh, a business ability. It isn't that God hasn't saved them. It's just, once again, they were misled in what they were selling. So once again, discernment, prayer uh, can help you in that particular um, area. And then lastly, uh, number 15, I give you this thought, those that can discern the times. Uh, we talked about the sons of Issachar uh, that can discern the times. I think it's important for a board that you can have those to have somewhat of a respect and appreciation for history and tradition, but not so much so that you're bound to the old ways of doing everything. So you need people who have a respect for history, but yet are progressive. You don't want people so progressive that they forget everything that's ever been done. Best practices, you know, the decisions that the forefathers made, no sense of this is why we did what we did for as long as we've done it. But once we looked at the history, once that we looked at your tradition, once we looked at the best practices, then can say, okay, what is God telling us to do now? Sometimes, you know, if we don't learn the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat them, often to a disadvantage. But at the same time, if we learn the lessons of history, they can be the stepping stone, they can be the catapult uh, to us in the future. People who are open-minded, people who are students, researchers, willing to learn, flexibility. You know, this is how we've done it, this is what's worked, but at the same time, I'm open, I'm flexible, I'm nimble to new ideas, new methodologies, new innovation, in ways that can get things done but perhaps better, more effectively, more efficiently. Once again, in closing, um, one the reminder that a founder um, has the most uh, uh, deference, if you will, in appointing the initial board. Uh, pretty much that's the, the founder of that organization, the founder of the church has that authority. But once we get into adding, replacing, expanding, now we have to deal with uh, voting on the board um, or, or some type of affirmation of nominations. As I said earlier, uh, pray. As Jesus prayed, as the apostles prayed, but also give this criteria to your congregation. You know, perhaps show this video and say, all right, we're getting ready to vote on board of directors, trustee members. What type of people should we be looking for? You know, it's a lot of times people just don't know. They, they go with who they think is the smartest, best looking, or the head of the household, the head of the family. But what are the things to, to, to look for? Um, as we said before, selecting of a deacon, they gave the criteria. Selecting of the apostle to replace Judas, they gave the criteria. And then they prayed again and they voted. So once again, we're praying that the lot will, will fall on, on the right person. In closing, if you need help with drafting, revising, updating, amending bylaws, or if your board needs uh, guidance, or you as a pastor needs guidance, we are happy and available uh, to assist you. Once again, we thank you for viewing uh, this video sponsored by the Law Office of Travel Travis. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. We encourage you to like, to comment, to share, host, uh, watch parties, our videos, 
comment and let us know your thoughts about the composition and characteristics of a board. Maybe it's something you disagree with. Maybe it's something you want to add or elaborate on or want clarification on. We appreciate the interaction and the dialogue. May God bless you. May God bless your ministry. May God bless your church. May God bless you as you do the work of the Lord uh, for the people of God. God bless you. Have a great day.